Hey, Dan, yeah, I'd step out and do something extraordinary, but I don't have the money. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we've been taking care of business for a while here, as you probably know. Those of you who have been listening for a while, golly, for keeping track, guess what? Today's episode is number 800. 800. Gee, I should have built in some applause there or something. Yeah, it's been a quite a while. Hey, 48 days, if you are new and don't understand the 48 days, that comes out of content I've been sharing for a whole lot of years now, but 48 being enough time that you can assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other smart people, choose four or five good options, do a little bit more research, select one and take action. That's a sequence you can go through in 48 days and dramatically change your life in many ways. If you create a plan and act well, thanks for being listeners. I've thrilled to have this be our 800th episode. I'm going to give you a little bit more information about the, the podcast here in a minute. Here's some of the questions, though, we are going to ask answer today. Is the 48 Days Eagles community okay for someone who may not have entrepreneurial aspirations? Someone says, I've always been told that hard work pays off, but in my case, it seems in order to get ahead, I need to be a jerk. My wife and I want to start an interior painting business on the side to help us meet some financial goals. How do you decide when a business just isn't working? And then somebody asked this, we'll get to this. My issue isn't fear, it's lack of funds to get started on my business. I don't even have a couple hundred bucks. All right, our quotation comes from Ken Akuda, who said, lack of money is no obstacle. Lack of an idea is an obstacle. And we're going to talk about that. If you have an idea, money will show up, all the money you need. Trust me, it's there. Hey, our resource for today is to, again, go to the podcast survey. Thank you. We've had hundreds and hundreds of people who have done that. I so appreciate your input. I'm thrilled to read through, get your ideas for what we ought to do to make this podcast better. So go to 48days.com slash podcast survey. That's the deal, 48days.com podcast survey. Now this is 800, 800 episodes, 800 weeks straight, straight weeks, no matter how many, you know, I mean, no, how many weeks in a month, some have four, some have five, doesn't matter. No breaks, no time off for vacations, no repeats. Now, when I say that, you know, no time off for vacations, trust me, I've had a lot of vacations in uh, that last period of time now approaching what, 16 years. But the magic of podcasting allows me to do that. The magic of podcasting is that I can record three segments if I want to have those staged to go out. There's still current relevant questions from you, all the listeners, and then they go out and Joanne and I may be in another part of the world somewhere. That's part of why I'm not on radio anymore. Now the history, you know, 40 days started again, as I write about in 48 days to the work you love started in a Sunday school class. I had no intention of that turning into 
what I do full time or something that would create financial return as well was just a Sunday school class. Well, that grew rather quickly. We then changed it to a weekly community seminar on Monday nights. Did that for several years. Then I had a chance to get on radio, so I quit the community seminar and moved to radio to keep sharing the message with a broader broader audience. Went on WWTN radio out of Nashville, powerhouse radio station, 100,000-watt station. It was the same one at the time. Dave Ramsey was on there, Rush Limbaugh, other people like that, so I was privileged to have that. Then I discovered podcasting back in 2006. And I'm like, oh my, I am so finished with radio um, because of the time constraints, because of the limited reach. I mean, you know how radio is still. If you're driving across country, you have a radio for about 25 miles, and then the station dies out. You get something else. Now, obviously, today we have Sirius and all kinds of new options. And in the radio, in the car, I mean, I don't know when the last time was I listened to radio. I just listened straight off my phone for whatever podcast I'm listening to. But that was back in the days when radio was pretty popular. And the radio station thought I was crazy. When I said I'm going to be going to podcasting, but in those transitions in Sunday school class to community seminar to terrestrial radio to podcasting in the first transition, my audience probably doubled going from Sunday school class to community seminar. You know, we went from about 60 people to 120, 150, and then going to radio, live radio, my goodness, 10 times you know, the audience doing that, then podcasting, probably a 25 times multiple of what I, the audience I had on radio. So massive, massive multiplications of spread reach with those. And thus I've been on podcasting now for over 15 years. But if you show me something new that comes along and it's going to give me a a 50 times multiple of audience reach, Wow, I'm going to be there. Now, some of you may think, well, gee, what about Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, some of the hot things out here, TikTok? Yeah, that's a different kind of connection. It's a very different kind of connection. Well, anyway, I I want to share with you some of the feedback we're getting about the podcast. A whole lot of you have already done the survey, and I thank you for that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's it's thrilling to read through and, and to hear more in depth about where you are, where you are in your own journey. Of course, we share a lot of times here the stories over time of how people's lives have changed, and those are thrilling, but I love getting those little bits of input that a lot of you shared. I've used uh, Taking Care of Business, the opening song, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, since the very beginning. Of course, when I was back on radio, there you have licensing, like with BMI or ASCAP, where you can use any songs, any kind of music that you want. But being an independent, moving away from radio station, I can no longer do that. And those of you who have your own podcast, you hope, recognize, I hope, you can't just use you know music, popular music out there. You can have something created or you can purchase something. I have a licensing agreement with Sony, the largest recording you know, company in the world, for use of taking care of business that Bachman Turner Overdrive song that I play at the beginning of each each podcast here this one you recognize it you know it's one of those you can be walking you through the uh, do you think the mall possible? and you hear that well, come on taking out. care of business well that's a song yeah I've got a licensing agreement to use that and I, I like it now there's could be a case made for changing that ah, 
I like it. But now also, though, in uh, 2014, so seven years ago, Todd and Emily Marriott sent me the 48 Days song. I've had all kinds of things that have been submitted that are just things that people just create. I mean, this is one that a listener sent in to me. Just an individual creation. I mean, I love this. I mean, it's beautiful. Sent it in. So I've had a lot of people send in things over the years, but then it was in 2014 that Todd and Emily from Gifty Song, sent me this, just totally on their own. They asked me a couple questions, said they wanted to do it as a gift, and boom, here it comes. So you know that. Well, I'll play that as our outro today, play the whole thing through. But uh, So we've had that. So there have been a lot of different little pieces that kind of come in and have been added to the 48 days podcast over time. I still love doing it. I mean, I consider it a high point in my week to open that magic mailbox, see all the questions that you all submit. And then I get reports. I mean, the technology has gotten pretty sophisticated. I get weekly reports about where my podcast is heard. It's pretty uh, interesting to look at you know, countries all over the world. I mean, places like Bangladesh and or Sweden and New Zealand and Mexico, I see show up on my report every week, how my podcast is ranked in those countries. If it's gone up, you know, three positions here, one, um, the episode I had, should I wait to be fired or quit now? It jumped up six positions in Canada. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't do much to make those things happen or not happen. I just watch them, but they're interesting to watch, and the technology can show us what's happening there. Now, in terms of the survey that you all are doing, and again, that's 48days.com slash podcast survey. Uh, we've got, again, the technology allows me to see exactly how all these answers went together. One of the things that we gave you a choice on is the 48 Days podcast has traditionally been 48 minutes. Would you prefer 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 48 minutes, 60 minutes? The overwhelming winner is 48 minutes. I mean, that's been kind of my signature brand, but I thought, well, maybe it's too long at this point. You know, then I see people like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, you know, have two and three hour podcasts. And I think, wow, would people want that? Well, I'm going to go with the feedback that you all supplied I mean, it's just interesting to see. I love that you're sharing it like that. 48 minutes is the overwhelming winner. When people say how often, or people, I ask, how often do you listen to the 48 Days podcast? Every week is a big winner. We had in there every chance I get, sometimes not very often, but it's every week is the outstanding winner in there. This is one that I've wondered about. About 85% of podcast that come into the come into the arena are interview based people interview celebrities authors you know those kind of things that about 85 percent what i do just one host and then you know just host providing content is pretty rare i mean there's some other options but what i do is probably a five percent category and so i ask should i continue just answering listener questions. That was one of my questions when I went from live radio where I was answering live 
on the air questions. And I thought, wow, well, people still have the same kind of response if the questions aren't live, but I'm just reading questions that have submitted. So I've been doing that since day one. And I asked, should I continue with just listener questions? Should I have guests on like famous authors, speakers, entrepreneurs? Um, should I have employers on? You know, should I have a co-host to provide better feedback and banter back and forth? Well, those last three paled. It was just a handful. Overwhelmingly, you all are saying, continue as it is with listener questions. So again, I take that very seriously. I appreciate that feedback. And uh, it, it's certainly a format that I enjoy. It's it's pretty laborious for me to slow down to have to interview somebody. And I do that once in a while, but just usually just a, a, a few times a year that I do those. And and moving forward, based on some of the suggestions, I don't think I'm even going to substitute those for podcast segments. We'll just add those in as bonuses. Then I ask, what content do you enjoy most? Listener questions and responses, success stories, the good news segments, specific themes for shows? Well, in terms of ranking, listener questions and responses is uh, by far and away, you know, way more than anything else. Success stories from real listeners. You know, we got some people that said that's important. The good news, that kind of surprised me. The good news segments is really, really low. I had introduced that a few years ago just to let people know, well, you know, it's interesting now that I think about the response that you are giving me here. I had somebody, I would answer questions. And most of the questions are people who are in challenges. You know, they're saying, gee, how can I get out of this? How can I move forward? And so on. So we know that. And then so people would ask me, God, does anybody ever, you know, do okay? Does anybody ever have success? And it was like one of those V8 moments. I thought, my gosh, that's crazy. I need to let people know the tons of success stories that we get in. So I started introducing success stories. But a lot of those that I do is just good news. It's not necessarily success stories, but just good news. And you are ranking that pretty low. Whereas the success stories from real people is ranked pretty high. So, um, yeah, again, great, great information. What topics do you want to hear? Finding a job is pretty low. Creating work I love, extremely high. Starting a business, high. Growing your own business, high. Mindset, high. Goal setting's pretty low. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff that we're getting here. Well, I could go through just... um Love, love the feedback that y'all are getting. We'll get it. We'll put it together and I'll release it as a report. So you all can see exactly what we're seeing here. We ask, would you be interested in more live events? You know, we've had a couple of years now of not doing live events. And would you be interested in that? Yes. An overwhelming majority of you are saying, yes, I'm ready for that. Now, there were some who said, no, probably not. Whether that has to do with just, I don't know, fears about, conditions that are still out there or the expense of traveling. I'm not sure. And then, um, geez, in terms of, well, here's another one. <laughs> I'm getting caught up here. I don't want to spend the whole time doing this, but a couple more here. This always really is interesting. But what's your academic background? You know, high school diploma, college degree, master's degree, PhD, or MD, JD, so on and so forth. Well, overwhelmingly, the biggest response is a college degree. High school diploma and master's degree are pretty much exactly the same. Not even half 
of those of you. So you have, do have college degrees. And then a smaller number have PhD, medical doctor or attorney, dentist, and so on. Smaller, but a pretty significant number do have that. In terms of income range, again, I don't know what you expect. We gave a lot of options, zero to 30,000, 31 to 50,000, 51 to 75, 75 to 100, 100 to 250, 250 to 500, 500 to a million, a million to 3 million, and so on. Well, the biggest category Biggest category in there is fifty to seventy-five thousand a year. All right, so that's big. Second to that is a hundred to two hundred and fifty. Then it drops off. But there we have some who are in the one million to three million dollar income annual income category. So when I talk about you know I want it to be inspirational for you when we talk about people who are doing extremely well. I don't want you to think, ah, gee, you know, lucky them. And here I am locked. No, I want it to be inspirational because a lot of those people you hear about on here, especially who now are making a million dollars more a year, five years ago, weren't doing anything close to that. It's like a hockey stick, you know, where people go along, they learn and grow and study and they reach out for mentors and all the things we recommend. And then all of a sudden, wow, things come together. And it's not just a, a straight line increase. It's like a hockey stick where all of a sudden, whoosh, it just expands dramatically. Anyway, a little background there. Thing, thank you so much. Those of you who have been longtime listeners, I talked to a gentleman last week who uh, has been listening. He said for over seven years, didn't think he ever missed an episode. That's a long time. And in that period of time, I never knew him, never knew his name. I don't think he ever spent a penny with us. And now he's gotten involved. And he's actually at this point has stepped through some of the the processes that we have and is in my personal mastermind, a thousand dollars a month. So those are stories that I hear again and again and again, people listening over a long period of time. And I'm honored to be part of your lives in that way. All right. Hey, let me throw in some questions here. You got great questions as always. Again, you know, the routine, if you have a question, you can send it in to ask Dan at 48days.com. Whole lot of people have that address. I have thought about at this point after so many years changing that address because it's uh, kind of open territory for so many people promoting things that they didn't want me to talk about, promoting people they want to have on here. Publishers and PR agents are notorious for overloading those of us with podcasts with suggestions for guests. And then the guests themselves, somebody writes a book and they say, hey, Dan, I want to be on your podcast. Well, again, it has to tie in. And based on you, the listener's feedback, we just don't do a whole lot of that. All right, let me go to a question here from Adam who says, I hope you're doing well. Is the 48 Days Eagles community okay for someone who may not have entrepreneurial aspirations, but is trying to seek clarity and direction on their goals and find meaningful work? And he talks about his background. He said, be immensely appreciative of any advice that I have. I appreciate you. I've read your books. Um, the 48 Days to the Work You Love, both 2007 edition and the 20th anniversary edition you graciously sent me. No More Dreaded Mondays, I appreciate what you do. Your books and podcasts bristle with authenticity, and I very much value what you have to say. I appreciate you. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate your your reaching out, your comments, all the other information that you provided here about what you're doing. But back to your question, is the 40 Days Eagles community okay for someone who may not have entrepreneurial aspirations? 
Yes, it is. And and I'm not just saying that because I think it's self-serving. It really is. We have a lot of people in there who are high S and C on the disc, as an example. We usually think about people who's really going to be that hard-driving entrepreneur as a high DI, someone opinionated, go-getter, the type A personality you hear about. Well, you don't have to be that. We have a lot of people who are high S and C who are just exploring what their best options are. But let me, let me just kind of give you an example here. If somebody is a good bookkeeper, let's say, and so they work for a company, but the company's really unstable. They aren't sure their job's going to be there, you know, next week, let alone next month or next year. And so they're looking around, you know, what are my options? Well, what if instead of just getting another job where the same thing may be true again, or it may again be unstable, what if they decide, I'm going to find five companies that are not large enough to hire me as a full-time bookkeeper, but they're kind of in that space where they could use somebody to do their work and I could do it in a couple days a month. And so you do that. It's like finding five mini jobs. So that person does that. The bookkeeper that I just left in, in Tennessee did exactly what I'm describing here. She had about eight clients. She loved all of us as her clients, loved what we were doing. She was very selective in choosing companies that she would work with because she believed in their mission, their purpose, what they were doing. And I was one of those. What if, what if a person did that? So they still are doing bookkeeping. Now, they're not going to have a building out here with their name on the front. They're not going to be out here, you know, knocking on doors. They're not going to be selling something from the front of a stage. Are they an entrepreneur or have they just kind of tweaked the business model to serve them well? Well, see, that's the question. And we've done that with a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people have, in fact, done exactly what I just described. They're not really looking to just go out and do something on their own, but they're opening their eyes to the full spectrum of work models that are available and recognizing, wow, they can do something. You know, they can do something that'll fit them and serve them well. Yeah, we do a lot of talk about that in the 48 Days Eagles Eagles community, and there's a whole lot of people in a situation where they're probably never going to be that full-blown raving entrepreneur that we think about, but they've, they're working to control the work model that they create to give them flexibility, open-ended income, even though they're never going to be what we would consider an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Hey, check it out. You know, go to 48 Day, talk to some people who are in there. We've got, you know, a whole lot of people in there who would be happy to talk to you. We have a lot of open calls where you can kind of see the inside, see how things work, take advantage of those. But you can always go to 48dayseagles.com slash join to really get the overview there. John says, Dan, I'm currently working at a company that I used to love. Recently, somebody got promoted to a position that I feel they were not qualified for. I work 50 to 60 hours per week, and I'm always praised for my work. When I approached the owners about the position, I was told I'm too nice to have that position. The person who got promoted steals time from the company and is very rude to our coworkers. I used to love what I did, but now I just go to work to earn a paycheck. It didn't used to be that way. I've always been told that hard work pays off, but in my case, it seems in order to get ahead, I have to be a jerk. Please help. I'm not that kind of person. This used to be the work I love. Wow, what a tough situation, John. Now, in this volatility that we're experiencing right now, the last two years, you know, there's a whole lot of people that have 
left their work. I mean, I, I did an interview this morning. I talked about the fact that in in August there were four point three million Americans who quit their jobs. Four point three million quit their jobs. I mean, that's just astounding when you think about it. Now, there were 892,000 of those who were in hospitality food service jobs. All right, we know the routine there. Uh, Joanne and I went to a restaurant last night. Well-known brand, I won't mention the brand, well-known brand. There was one waitress, one waitress. I mean, they limited the number of tables they would even seat, so there was a waiting line. One waitress, they had just, wow. So almost a million of those workers quit their positions in August. 721,000 were in retail positions. They quit. And also 534,000 were in healthcare. Now we're talking about nurses, you know, physicians, radiologists, 534,000 said, Hey, this is a mess. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. The fact that there are so many people who have quit, so many people who have quit, puts more people in the driver's seat about what they're looking for. What you're describing, John, where you think you have to be a jerk to get ahead at your company, that's a very, very unhealthy culture. And frankly, you don't have to put up with that. There are so many companies looking for good, reliable, responsible people who understand what their talents are, what their contribution could be. Oh my goodness. There's never been an easier time to go out and define what it is you want in terms of work, if that's a job or starting your own business, but in terms of what you want and to get the pay that you want. What we're really looking for, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, back a few years ago, Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive. And in there, he looked at all this, you know, what does drive people? And he says, there are three things we're looking for. And I think these are more true today than ever before in history. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. It's not enough just to get a paycheck. You're saying that you just go to work now to earn a paycheck. That is not enough. Nobody's settling for that. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. There has to be, you have to feel like you're part of something that makes sense, part of something that's making the world a better place. Now that can be done at jobs that are in food service. I mean, you look at Chick-fil-A. You know, the kids that work there feel like they're part of something. They're getting opportunities. They're having a chance to grow to see bigger opportunities that are provided for them. They even have, you know, tuition taken care of and all that. So that can happen in something that we would see as just kind of an entry-level job or something that pays you $300,000 a year. But look for that. Don't be content to be in an environment where you feel like you have to be a jerk. Nah, create a plan. And in 48 days, I want to get an update that you have moved on. This comes, let's see, this is from Brian. This is Dan, my wife and I want to start an interior painting business on the side to help us meet some financial goals. When I research online, many sources are saying it's required to have a business permit and suggest buying liability insurance. Are these really necessary? If so, how much coverage would be necessary and how much should we expect to pay in premiums? I think I remember you saying you used to paint houses to make ends meet back in the day, so I thought you might know. Also, I'm curious how to go about marketing our business. We've got an ad on Craigslist. We're going to create some flyers to hand out to local businesses and neighborhoods. But do you recommend any resources that focus how to market a small business? Thanks in advance for your time and thoughts. Golly, I think that's cool, Brian, that you guys are going to, you and your wife are going to start an interior painting business. We just had 
the, our kitchen cabinets repainted. Now we moved into the house and they were original wood. They're, they're beautiful, high quality cabinets, but we really weren't crazy about the wood look, wanted to update it, brighten up the kitchen. And so they're now white. They are white. So Victor has his wife and his dad work with him. They came in, they removed all the doors, all the drawer fronts. They took those away somewhere, you know, sanded those and sprayed those. The paints these days are amazing that they have in terms of being durable for a finish like that. They came back. I mean, it looks like glass. They are absolutely beautiful, but um, that's what they did. Let me answer your questions, but I want to go a little bit more into how to market this. So you're saying that, do you need to have a business permit? Yeah, absolutely. Do that. Go to your local county. It's done county by county, but go to your local county. And it's usually going to be 20 to $35. That's it for an annual license for your business. So get that. And then liability insurance. Yeah, since you're going to be in and out of people's houses and all, I would suggest that's a good idea. Not a big deal. You ought to be able to, you can get a million dollar liability policy. You're not in a high risk business by any means. But to just have that, sure, put your mind at ease. It's going to cost you maybe $350, $400 for the year. So we're not even talking about making premiums. It's just a one-time thing for a year, and you're in that $350 category. I've got a, now that I think about it, I hadn't thought of, I've got a, a extra liability policy that is a million. I think it cost me $397 a year now that I think about it. Uh, just a, kind of a, a strange thing that I have as an author speaker, a liability policy, and you can certainly do the same. Now, in terms of marketing that, how do you market that? Let me, um, um, wow, there's another one. Oh, here it is. Here's another one. I want to, I want to add this in. Then I'll talk a little bit about marketing. This comes from Bruce in Pennsylvania. Dan, I'm a CPA with six years of experience. I've learned much in those years, but I've spent most being very frustrated with the just grinded out culture. I'm pretty miserable where I am, and I have aspirations of kicking tax season to the curb this year. I'm considering starting my own consulting or outsourced CFO business, meaning he would be chief financial officer for a business. Basically, I want to be the financial ninja to entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm a high S personality. Do you think this kind of business would fit my personality type? My main question is this, how would you recommend a guy like me get his first few clients? I have a non-compete that prevents me from doing any side work while I'm in my current job. If I had a couple of things lined up ready to go, I'd launch as soon as possible. All right. So in the accounting, consulting, financial arena, and then also somebody who wants to start a painting business, uh, the process of marketing is very much the same. Victor, the guy who did our kitchen cabinets, was referred to us. We had a lady come in to my office here in Florida, the office where we also had bookcases built in. And we had this lady do, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name. It's like she puts paint on and then she rubs it off. There's some spots showing through. I can't even remember the name of what that process is. And my wife is the artist. We had that done. And we asked Rose who she would recommend to paint the walls. And so she said, Victor. So it was a referral. That's how we find people for everything. We ask, who have you used? Who do you recommend? I'm looking right now for somebody to be, I put a note out for a yard beauty manager. 
And what I'm looking for is referrals. I really want to talk to people who have used somebody who are giving me referrals, and those are coming in nicely. I've got some people lined up to come by even this afternoon. So that's pretty cool the way it's working out. But that's what we do for everything. And that's how we found Victor. This very day, I'm working here in my notes for recording the podcast. Joanne, my wife, texted me from the clubhouse where she's with a bunch of artists. She said, two ladies want to come by our house and look at our cabinets because I was just telling them we just got them done. They did. They came down to our house. I said, sure, no problem. Come on down. So they came down, walked through, oohed and odd over our cabinets. Guess who now has the name, number, contact information for Victor? I mean, we have probably referred 20 people to him since he did our cabinets just a few weeks ago. That's how it works. You can expect that. That's going to be your best source of business. Yeah, you know, you might go put flyers out for the first time in a neighborhood, but you want to get to the place where you aren't even thinking about that. You're having a hard time keeping up with the people who are knocking on your door saying, I talked to my neighbor, they used you. I talked to my friend at church, they used you. I want you to come do my work. Same thing is true, Bruce, with your question about being an outsourced CFO. Yeah, go out there and make a list of 10 companies that you know would be candidates for that. Talk to them, get a couple under your belt as locked in clients. Then they will tell other companies and you'll never have to go out marketing again in these kind of things. Now, if you're selling, you know, if you're selling candy bars, it's a much different process. But when you're talking about as a, a painter, you know, you're only going to be able to handle, you know, three or four jobs a month. Or as an outsource CFO, you're only looking for five or six companies where you're going to be able to do that. That's very low numbers. And the referral process is going to get you much better customers and clients. Joe Stump is a guy who has been in real estate for a long time. Stump, the last name is kind of an unusual spelling. It's S-T-U-M-P-F. You can check him out. He trademarked the term by referral only. Now, he works with real estate agents you know, who are notorious for spending days and days and days out knocking on doors, you know, walking around, trying to find somebody who wants to listen out. He says, that's nuts. He says, you should never have to prospect again after selling three houses. If you sell three houses and you know how to ask for referrals properly, he says, you should never have to go cold calling again. Hey, I love these questions about these small businesses. Obviously, a whole lot of you um, appreciate that focus. We'll be leaning into that even more. Um, there's certainly once in a while, you know, questions about traditional job search, but more and more we spend our time talking about how to move out of that, how to move into these things that are non-traditional, that are more open-ended and certainly give you more time, flexibility, freedom, and income on your own. Well, hey, just a quick note here to kind of break the sequence, and then I want to jump in because there's one more question I want to unpack. Come from Warren. But uh, the music, just a reminder, you are listening to Real Life Questions. I love getting these in. I have thousands and thousands that have been compiled over the years. You know, I, I have questions that go back way back. I mean, 10 years ago, uh, we ought to go back and somehow compile all the old questions and look at the themes that have been there and then provide solutions to those. Just, uh, 
be really interesting to do that. But certainly appreciate those coming in. Keep them coming. If you got a success story you want to share, you know, a lot of those, the success stories that people want to hear are not how, you know, Warren Buffett and Richard Branson are doing, but how people, real life people, last week, I think I talked about Jen McDonough, you know, talked about other people who are doing really, really well. Those are the stories that people want to hear. So be sure to send those in. What's been your success journey the last three, five, 10 years, whatever, where you've really hit that hockey stick kind of upturn. Love to hear those. If you have questions like these that we're going through here today, questions about your situation, certainly send those in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, recently we sent out a little email that went out and it was, what if? And I talked about You know, I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs start and build their side businesses. There are usually three questions that people have for me during that process. What if I fail? What if I'm so busy and then I'm exhausted at the end of the day? How do I find energy to do this? What if I don't know how to find a product or service that sells? So we sent that out. Again, lots and lots of you respond. Anthony says, my issue isn't fear. It's lack of funds to get started on my business. I don't even have a couple hundred dollars. All right. Now, if we go back to my quotation that we're using for today, lack of money is no obstacle. Lack of an idea is an obstacle. If you've got a great idea, people with money will be standing in your driveway. (laughs) I mean, they will seek you out. I mean, one of the things that I'm involved in, you know, at this point is a new company that we've started to make investments in companies. I mean, we're looking for people that have good ideas, that have a little bit of a track record. You know, they're passionate about what they're doing. I mean, and uh, money is the easiest commodity to come up with. An idea and a plan of action are much more difficult. If you've got an idea and a plan of action, you can start toward that. Now, the thing is, you know, I, I've spent plenty of time where I didn't have big bucks to start a business. And I've never looked at a business in that way. One time, well, years and years ago, I mean, I, it was right when I was coming out of a really a tough time financially myself. And I had an office space in a building owned by a guy who had been very, very successful, but he was very traditional. He was very conservative in in his thinking. He was actually a PhD in physics, but he was very, very methodical. I would hold these little open sessions there in the conference room because that's how it worked. I rented a little office, but then I had access to a conference room. It was right in the very initial days when I was still teaching a Sunday school class, but starting to do some of the things that I do today. And so I would have these little groups of people in and I would teach them how to start a business with nothing. You know, how to launch a business, you know, $250. He was blown away. He was so enamored with me teaching what I was teaching that he offered to give me office space at no cost at all if he could just sit in those little workshops I was doing. You know, it was a delightful arrangement. And he was a really delightful guy. He was just used to, you know, that there's no way you could start a business, you know, without a quarter of a million dollars. If you want to start a business, you go get a small business loan. No, I'm saying start with what you got. 
Now, one of the ideas that I used while I was rebuilding in that time, where I not only did I not have any money, I owed everybody in town money. I was deeply, deeply in debt. But one of the ideas that I did was to get a little telephone address book that kind of was kind of an imitation leather cover, and then it had tabs for the alphabet all the way down. You open it up, and then you could flip to, you know, Miller's under M, and there's Dan Miller, Dan and Joanne Miller. You know that. We don't use those much anymore, but back then they were, they were still being used a lot. I purchased one. I paid $10.53 for it. I took it to a church and said, I can put your logo on the front of this. I can put, open it up, and there's a word from the pastor if you want, the schedule of services, anything you want in there. You can have all that information in there. And then I'm going to, on the inside front cover, the inside back cover, and the outside back cover, I'm going to have little one-inch spots where I promote who in your church is a realtor. Who do you send people to for insurance? You know, what's your favorite restaurant? Where do you put people up in a hotel when they come to town? You know, what funeral service do you use? You give me those names. I'll go out and sell those spots. And then I'll give you a thousand copies of this little book for nothing. I mean, everybody loved it. They absolutely loved it. Get my investment, $10.53. It was just an idea. Then I went and sold the ads. They were $395 a piece. So I would, I would get, I would sell, I had room for 18 of those. What is that? 18 of those. So I had 18 at $395 a piece. All right. That's $7,100. So here's, here's how it worked. So I would, I got the $7,100 real quickly from the very first project I ever did. Then I had those books produced. Now, obviously, I knew in advance what they were going to cost me. I produced those thousand books, gave the church those. They were thrilled to give those out as gifts to visitors, something that would have high perceived value and keep the name in front of them for a long period of time. I gave those and I put $4,000 profit in my pocket. But that was it. It cost me 10 bucks to launch the idea. It was something that would generate me $4,000. I found that I could do one of those in a week pretty easily. I could go into any city I wanted to, talk to a couple of the biggest churches there on Monday, on Tuesday, get a list, go out and do my thing and head home Friday night with 4000 bucks profit in my pocket. It was just, that's just one idea. My gosh, I've had so many of those ideas. I mean, I, I put together, you know, one of the things that we have, I uh, was on a radio show one time and the host asked me, is there any way that they have primarily, it was actually Moody Midday Connection, and we were doing taping a show because the hosts were going to be out for a couple of weeks. So it wasn't live, it was taped and then going to be replayed. And they asked me, is there any way that these women can provide income in their family, you know, still be primary caregivers for their children, but provide income? I said, oh my goodness, there's tons of things you can do. And I said, go to our website. I've got a tab there for 48 lower, no cost business ideas. Put that together. That's still available. We have that 48 low or no cost business ideas. There's tons of ideas in there. Things that I've done that I started with zero capital. And there's certainly no obstacle to you to do the same kind of thing. You can do that. You know, as I was just uh, researching through on this, I came up with, I kept running across these money quotations that have to do with 
money. And I put some in here. Miguel de Cervantes said, never stand begging for that which you have the power to earn. Golly, how do you like that? Think about that. Never stand begging for that which you have the power to earn. Now think about people these days, you know, protesting, demanding, you know, begging beyond reason. Just go out and earn it. And frankly, that's some of my feeling about nonprofits. That's a topic for another day, perhaps, but nonprofits, you know, they spend 90% of their time, you know, asking for donations, begging for money. Like, my goodness, it's a whole lot easier just to come up with an idea that makes money to fund what you want to do in a humanitarian way. Well, Henry Ford said, if, if money is your hope for independence, you will never have it. The only real security that a man will have in this world is a reserve of knowledge, experience, and ability. T. Harv Eker, T. Harv Eker, he did an endorsement for one of my books. He says, it's simple arithmetic. Your income can grow only to the extent you do. Wow, now there's something to think about too. If you want to grow your income, grow yourself. And then this one from the old Stoic philosopher Epictetus, who said, be careful to leave your sons well instructed rather than rich, for the hopes of the instructed are better than the wealth of the ignorant. Wow. So much good teaching about wealth, how to get money. Not having money is not an obstacle. Hey, I've found myself there on more than one occasion, but it sure didn't stop me from getting back in the game, moving forward. Even at those times where I was lowest, where I was in the most desperate situations financially, I never looked for something that would be a guarantee. I simply looked for an opportunity. That's all. I want an opportunity where there's no guarantee, but there's no ceiling. That's always what I'm drawn to. Well, my goodness, thanks for your your questions. Keep sending those in. Ask Dan at 48days.com. We got a couple resources for you today. Certainly one, we want you to take that survey, the 48days.com slash podcast survey check that out also hey check it out we've had some more people that are going to be coming to the event joanna and i are doing for just six couples in january if you go to 48days.com slash lovin l-o-v-i-n no g required l-o-v-i-n check it out we'd love to talk to you about coming down here and spending a couple days to create the kind of life that you and your spouse want well i am playing the playing the music there as i promised song that was gifted to us by some listeners love the connections we've had thanks for being part of this journey wherever you came in probably nobody has listened to all 800 episodes but they're there for the taking i'm always amazed to hear people that do go back and spend a lot of time catching up listening to old episodes but they all have clear themes we we ought to have a directory of how to find particular topics that's another thing we ought to work on as we're moving forward here. But thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.